Hello everybody, it's Precious Pioneer and welcome back to another episode of Precious the Foodie. I'm so happy that you're tuning in to this week's episode. I have a special guest, Ronan McGovern, one of the founders of Point Five, a non-alcoholic beer company. I think that's super, super cool. In this episode, we'll hear the pieces of his Irish background and some of his favorite dishes that remind him of home. So kick back, crack one open, unless you're driving... Well, actually, with point five, you're good. So crack one open and let's jump in. Hi, welcome to Precious the Foodie Podcast, the show that will uncover stories through palettes and memories. My name is Precious Pioneer, your host. I'm a chef, a creative, and a foodie. I'm meeting people all over the world using food as a medium to highlight truths into bite-sized pieces. This is Ronan McGovern here. I'm CEO at Point Five Brewing, where we make a non-alcoholic beer with a true beer taste. That's so cool. Where are you located at, Ronan? Well, I'm taking the call from Cambridge, Massachusetts today, Precious. Mm-hmm. And we have our um, HQ in Woburn, which is about 11 miles out of the city. Okay, neat, neat. Um, how is everything going on over there with you with uh, quarantine and um, Corona? Is there uh, much of a quarantine happening where you're at or is it sort of like safety measures? Um, people are starting to go outside. Yeah, you know, I'd say people are on alert because there's been a bit of a rise in cases. And I know in, in Woburn in particular, there's, uh, you know, there's some alert status there. So certainly keeping an eye out, working from home a lot, you know, following the usual precautions. But we've been kind of used to this, to be honest, now for the last, uh, what is it now, coming up on seven, eight months. Right, exactly. Um, Working from home is definitely a little bit more challenging. And so you said that you created or you're one of the founders for a non-alcoholic beer company. And so I wanted to know, I guess, taking a step back, how do you even get started with that sort of idea? Yeah, so I'm an engineer, Precious, and I am not from the US, as you can probably tell. I'm from Ireland. <laughs> I grew up there. I came over to the US when I was 21 to study at MIT. And while I was there, I learned a lot about desalination technology. And okay. um, you'll see where I'm going with this. So bear with me. What's what's happened in desalination is, and by the way, that's that's making fresh water out of seawater. And it's widely done, say, in the Middle East, but also in California now and increasingly around the world where there are water shortages. But um, mm-hmm. the way technology has gone in desalination is from distillation systems where you evaporate the seawater towards Mm -hmm. membrane systems which you can think of as filters that allow water to pass through and and block the salts and that membrane technology has really taken over globally now in terms of the new uh, desalination plants that are being installed and so here's where we get back to 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 point five basically with point five we're using this newer membrane technology but applied to alcoholic beverages and designed in order to allow ethanol or alcohol to be removed from the beverages mm-hmm. um, and the flavors to be retained rather than the, the salts to be retained, say, in desalination, if that makes sense. Right. So, okay, so what makes your beer different from the other non-alcoholic beers that are out there? Because um, yeah. they've been out there before that technology. So what makes your uh, beer different with this new technology? I think where we're differentiated on is the true beer taste. 
it's our ability to get a really close match to an original beer. And the way we make 0.5 is we we fully ferment a beer as though it's uh, you know to be an alcoholic product. And then mm-hmm. we're able to very precisely remove the alcohol with this membrane technology that we have. And because that's done at low temperature and because it's precise, we're just able to get a very close match to, to um, what people are used to drinking in terms of beer taste. No, that's so cool. So, okay, so out of all all of the different things that you could have created with this technology, um, how did you stumble upon beer? Why did that become your choice? Is that something that you said you were you grew up in Ireland? Is is that something cultural for you guys? I know um, there's (laughs) obviously there's obviously stereotypes, and so I wanted to know a little bit about your cultural background and how you stumbled upon deciding beer you know i'm sure there was a lot of trial and error to get to that point yeah so i mean there's definitely cultural significance of uh, in terms of ireland and and beer for better or worse i think probably pros and cons Uh, i come from a family where my parents are very cautious about you know drinking alcohol and they would maybe have the odd glass of wine i you know have taken interest in doing a little bit of home brewing myself actually not beer though i would have done a lot of mead which is you know honey wine um, mm-hmm. So I, I like tinkering around with that. But the the longer story here, and we're just peeling back layers of the onion, I'm giving you more detail as we go each layer. The The long story is that I had this knowledge about, about membrane technology, and I wanted to commercialize it because I saw other folks at MIT starting companies, and that sounded fun. Mm-hmm. And I looked at a lot of applications, Precious. I looked at everything from, you know, wastewater treatment to oil and gas and, um, this kind of stood out working in the beer industry as something unique. Um, and it's pretty important to be unique if you're going to do a startup. For sure. Because <laughs> you're going to have to go out and find the money to raise it. So you don't want to mm-hmm. be doing something where there's a ton of competition. And, you know, at the time when I started it, this was an application that that seemed high value. And that also seemed to be a significant improvement on what was already out there. Um, mm-hmm. And that was significantly better than like trying to compete in wastewater where there are tons of established technologies and even seawater desalination, there's ton, there's a ton of established technologies where it'd be very hard to compete with those. So Right. Oh, okay. And so I suppose like, okay, so you discovered that that was an unsaturated market. So what type of market are people who are interested in non-alcoholic beer? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is kind of pregnant woman, I suppose, but like right. what other do you see yourself in like commercial locations like grocery stores or even at restaurants and things like that like what kind of people are looking for non-alcoholic beer oh wow you packed a lot into that question I like it (laughs) so let's uh let's come back to let's come back to pregnant women because I think there there is some interesting aspects um around that market that demographic um and let's uh let's come back to the stores whether we're doing stores and let me answer first of all who's drinking non-alcoholic beer so very, uh, very new market, very small market in the US. Um, in countries in Europe, there can be up to even 10% of the beer, beer market that's non-alcoholic, say in Germany, Netherlands. In the US, it's still below probably 1% of beer is non-alcoholic beer. However, it's growing fairly fast, probably high single digits year on year. And why is it growing? Well, it's always a hard question, but because it's, it's really a cultural question. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the drivers, I would say, are you know health. Health is a big one for for consumers of 0.5. I would say our audience is a group who really enjoys the taste of beer, but wants something that's, you know, a little bit healthier, at least a few days of the week. Mm -hmm. I would say 0.5 is not so much like a health obsessive audience and more, you know, health conscious. I think 
there are also drivers maybe around calories because if you take out the alcohol, you're also cutting the calories by roughly a factor of two. So 0.5 a bottle has got 58 calories, which is a lot less than, you know, your typical beer. So that's maybe a driver. And then you've got drink driving, you know, um, people are hopefully getting safer and, you know, looking for alternatives so they can get behind the wheel after a work social event. Or, you know, maybe they have a 0.5 in the evening and have to drop their kids to the local badminton club or I don't know, soccer, baseball. (laughs) So I think that's probably a factor as well. You know, moving to stores. Well, We do have COVID right now, and while that presents challenges, it presented an opportunity for Point Five to focus on our online channel. And Mm -hmm. so we we sell nationwide from you know PointFiveBrewing.com, and that's allowed us to navigate the pandemic quite well. um, Because e-commerce sales are up, precious as I can imagine, you're probably shopping yourself. Are you a little bit more (laughs) online? Right. Right. I think that's important because, you know, so many businesses had to pivot and develop their online market. So it's good that you were able, you guys were able to do that, you know, because also on the flip side, if you didn't evolve, then you kind of sunk, you know, with COVID. So it's good that you guys were able to increase your market that way. That's right. And so, yeah, that's exactly what we did. We we just fully focused on the online. And, um, you know, I, I think there's probably a point where we will look to first do large retail the very large stores where people are, you know, going to do their weekly shopping. Um, and then probably the, the third and last step would be to go into more local liquor stores, which is more complicated just from a from a distribution standpoint. It takes quite a bit of time and resources to go that far. And I'm keen to do something that's going to kind of reach the most people in the most cost effective way. So that's why I'm trying to focus on online first and then probably large retail second. Yeah, for sure. I think something that would be really interesting especially in the food market, I find that if you can implement your product in new ways, it kind of helps. So I know that you guys have an online website, but if somehow, like there's so many different like beer related recipes, like um, Mm. for beer breads or different things like that. And so I don't know, it's just an idea like for marketing, Um, if you can incorporate your beer in different recipes, like um, those tasty videos and stuff, I'm sure it'd be really like like a new pers- a new spin or a new perspective on it that could really help. I know that beers are used for chilies as well. So, right. I don't know. Just a thought. No, I love that. You know, we um we've been trying to post some informative videos on our YouTube channel and we try and do one every two weeks that tackles one of these questions around non-alc and I think maybe that's an opportunity for us to do a recipe some week for fun. <laughs> yeah. Um so a question about your beer because I I think I don't know if I'm a beer lover yet. I think I'm kind right. of just tampering around. I'm, there's so many different varieties. And so I wanted to know, okay, so what kind of, I don't know if you offer more than one type of beer, but also like if you do, what are the flavor profiles of them? Are they more on the hoppier side or on the citrus, like citrus side? Do they taste more like an IPA sort of style, you know? So um, can you right. describe the flavor profile, maybe the body? color i don't know (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely um so 0.5 is brewed as a traditional pilsner uh, with the alcohol then precisely removed and so it's 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 designed to be drinkable that's the marker we're going for it's not very hoppy precious it's um pretty light it's pretty light in body pretty light in color it's um focused on kind of being crisp and refreshing um Mm -hmm. you can you know kind of taste the grain i'd say grain forward very slight level of hops and um, very clean aftertaste um, in the finish. That's kind of how I describe it. 
And, no, that's um, actually really good. It sounds delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, because that's probably the type of beer that I like. I don't think I'm a fan of IPAs. I think they're a little bit too bitter, too sharp for me. Um, right. I think maybe as I uh, as I get older, I'll enjoy it more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that sounds awesome. So, what would you say um, it pairs well with? Well, I think to be honest, it's um, it's going to be fairly light. And uh, that makes it pretty, pretty versatile for pairing precious. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to have something that tastes, you know, let's say you're eating, I don't know, maybe if you're eating or they say like, say a a really spicy meal, some people like to drink an IPA with that. So maybe, maybe an IPA would be better if you're going really spicy. But if you're having, I mean, my roommate here has been drinking one with lunch every day and he's been having all sorts of lunches. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. That's a really good point. Um, No, I figured figured it it was as versatile as you described it. I just wanted to see if you had any, um, you know, just anything that's sharp that came to mind. But no, that's actually a really good point. You know, it it, it really could be um, drinking drunk with anything, uh, with anything. And so, okay, so I wanted to ask a little bit uh, more on the personal side. Um, Mm. So you said that you came to the U.S. when you were 21. Uh, What would you say are the main, is there anything that really stuck out to you coming to America, like the main differences, whether that be culturally or with cuisine or relationship wise, you know, what would you say is something that really stuck out um, moving here? Oh, yeah, there's a lot I can say here. I mean, <laughs> okay. you have to keep in mind that I came to MIT. So I was in a very international community arriving in the US, like 40% of grad students at the time were international. So it's not like yeah, just keep that in mind because it means mm-hmm. that I'm I was, you know, in contact with and still a lot of my friends are, you know, are foreigners. I would say one th- oh my god, I could say so much here. Like when you come from outside the US, at least from Ireland, you have this vision of the US being like one thing or one culture and then, you know, having been here 10 years, you just realize, well, actually no. <laughs> there are a <laughs> ton of there are a ton of different people in the US, different cultures, and it's very different depending on the states and the um, cities and the groups. So I've definitely gotten a much more nuanced appreciation for people. Uh, you know, I've been able to do that both through traveling, but also through work. You know, I have another business called Sandy Mount that's a process engineering company that also does membranes. And we've been able to, you know, do fabrication in New Hampshire, in Kentucky. You know, we've had clients, you know, all over Colorado. So I've been able to work with people that are, you know, very, very varied in their in their cultures. And so that's that's been fun. And I think, okay, so my summary there is, yeah, American Mm -hmm. people are not just one thing. (laughs) There's a lot of of variance and that makes it fun. From the from the outside, what was that one thing that we stood for? Like what from I've always been curious from the outside perspective, like what do people kind of, I guess, see or think, you know? What was the one thing that you're mentioning? I suppose the American stereotype would be maybe loud and confident. They're maybe the first two words that would come to mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, I can I would see say, that. Yeah, Unre- not reserved. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Very um, bold. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, America is also seen as the land of maybe business and the land of also, um, you know, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know people in Ireland watch quite a few shows from the US so we're familiar with the music as well a lot of the music is you know what we would listen to in Ireland is Ireland too so that's um, cool yeah 
you know, sports, sports are huge in America. Sports are huge in Ireland. Just the sports are different and the experience is totally different. Like it's extremely commercial and extremely mm-hmm. huge. Like everything is just, you know, these big, massive pro teams and the experience of going to like a Bruins game or a Celtics game. And you have these, mm-hmm. you know, huge, like, you know, fried chicken stands. And um, <laughs> in our, in Ireland, we've, we've got one really big stadium, two really big stadiums. And, uh, but like our main sports are actually amateur. Yeah, like football and hurling um okay and it's very community based like you play for the team based on the parish you're born in or based on the county you're born in or sometimes working in whereas over here it's all professional and you can like you know trade players so the dynamic of the sport but people are still very passionate about their local team even though like you could you know trade away you know whoever the top player is the next year and exactly so, yeah. yeah it's definitely like um in ingrained in us I suppose on the sports side it's very it's definitely a very unique uh culture you know so like how you said like you're born in a certain area so you have to root for a certain team but at the end of the right. day you know you can you can kind of trade them around and be a part of be a part of the experience I suppose yeah and then you yeah. said food so like my line mm-hmm. on food here in America is America has got a great selection of food so like you know American food like what even is that that's like that's like mm-hmm. really non-descriptive but like when you actually dig in you find American food is basically like you know a little niche of like Szechuan food and a little niche of like I don't know Irish food and Irish pub mm-hmm. and then a little niche of like you know Italian food and maybe yeah. some of those foods are like interpretations and they don't do justice to like the original countries but like maybe they do um so there's definitely phenomenal selection of food in the US compared to you know Ireland well interesting yeah I would say the same thing I'm well I'm still learning and discovering American cuisine I suppose I always joke around and say that it's kind of a watered-down version of everybody else's food <laughs> but um I think that I'm learning as we dig like deeper for I guess like certain areas where they kind of um developed a culture over a long period of time like barbecue is kind of a really big thing in America that's kind of cultural like the way that we do desserts here even though they're incredibly sweet is a different kind of unique thing that I guess Americans do and so I feel I find that if you dig into because we're so diverse we have invented like a cross cuisines of like right um you know like a mixture of like Asian and African-American you know just all just mixed into and then it'd be one new dish you know right. so I think that we're we're like the blended F- fusion <laughs> exactly fusion central sort of thing which is you know it really gives a whole new meaning to melting pot so I think that's kind of interesting you know that is interesting. And I would say that's like definitely a strength of like America in terms of food, just the choice and the fusion and um, the variety, you know, the downside probably of American food just in general is like, it's more, uh, I mean, it's more commercialized or more, mm-hmm. um, you know, the farms are bigger, you know, the practices are maybe not as good for the animals as they are in Ireland, you know, yes, the, the fields are bigger, there's I mean, I'm just throwing out some anecdotal stuff here, but no, probably yeah, there's sure. more like probably there's more chemicals, there's more GMO stuff. Um, right. So, I mean, that's maybe the downside I see, but the variety and like the fusion is like a big upside. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, those downsides are definitely a big factor. Um, we're hoping to change that a little bit in the future because, you know, it definitely contributes uh, a lot to the climate crisis and everything. And I think a lot of people are becoming more aware of the downsides because, I don't know, you can't really take the good without the bad, you know. So I think if we can kind of evolve into a greener space, we'd be better off, you know. So I think we're slowly transitioning. Um, but I guess slowly is better than, you know, nothing. <laughs> you know, just becoming aware of that sort of thing. Um, sure. Ronan, I wanted to ask you, what kind of uh, dishes uh, did you grow up eating in Ireland? So my mother um, moved to France when she was 16 and um, mm -hmm. she did come back again. My She's Irish. My dad is Irish as well. But because of that, like she cooks a lot of French dishes. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, we would like regularly have like ratatouille, which is like a French vegetable dish we'd have then with pasta. We would have what we would call couscous you know couscous is the grain but it's like the term that uh my mother would use for what is probably a tunisian dish originally of course there's a lot of north africans in france and um, mm -hmm. kind of a you know beef or lamb with uh, vegetables tomato based kind of a, a sauce you know tabule another probably uh well maybe a bit more middle eastern inspired dish that's also big in france of course there's tabouli and there's tabule, tabule what is the is difference like Tabouli, I think, is the parsley-based kind of, uh, you know, chopped parsley. Okay. Yeah, like pr predominantly parsley. That's like very predominant, like in Israel, you know, Palestine, mm -hmm. Lebanon. And then there's tabouli, which is couscous-based. So it's couscous grain. Usually you soak it overnight in, um, you know, tomato juice or just chopped tomatoes. Then you've got mint. You've got some raisins that you probably pre-soak in lemon juice. Um, mm -hmm. And you have some diced cucumbers in there as well. What do you call them here? Zucchinis? Zucchini. <laughs> Zucchini. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, well, it depends, you know. So, yeah, it depends. You're flexible on terminology. Um, yes, um, kind of. It, it depends on what you, what the rest. I don't know the recipe. So um, it right. could be cucumber or it could be zucchini. So I'm not too sure. Oh. Um, okay. But zucchini, it's flexible in the sense that like there's like green and then yellow ones. They could be either or. Um, right. And then it's a type of I squash. So, yeah. Oh, um, interesting. What's like, you know, courgette? What's a courgette called over here again? A maybe that's the, courgette is maybe a zucchini then. Oh, I keep getting confused between them. Maybe. I've never actually heard of that before. Can you spell it for me? C-O-U-R-G-E-T-T-E. Oh, okay. So that, oh, yes, that's a zucchini. That's it, a zucchini. Yeah, that's definitely a zucchini. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so not funny. that. Not <laughs> that then. <laughs> no, the courgette. Courgette is like the fresh watery one. Yeah, no, it's so funny uh, sorry, because it, uh, cucumber, it's like cucumber a... Cucumber is the fresh watery one. Sorry, sorry. Yes, uh, exactly. That's so funny because like I, I just looked it up really quick and it says that the origin is referred to in Britain and in Ireland. So that it's it's funny because it's like a summer squash and so it's in reference to you. But I have never quite seen this before. It also has um, like stripes down the side and it, it looks like a zucchini, but the freshwater one. Yes, that one's a cucumber. Yes. So that's, a so that's what I meant. Okay. Yeah, nice. tabula is very, very kind of a fresh dish so they're the french crunchy. ones crunchy that's right little mm -hmm. dices is what you want to do but yeah we also would have done uh you know shepherd's pie which is kind of uh usually a ground meat with you know a bit of tomato paste salt pepper uh, onions and then you put that into a large dish and you do a layer of mashed potato on top of that yeah Optionally, that's actually really nice popular carrots. here okay that's, a, that's like a popular dish here 
like as a what is it called comfort food you know comfort. just like yeah, yeah just not really i don't know it's just very homey i guess you know it's like a pie of mashed potatoes <laughs> so definitely yeah, it's really delicious and then um you know a bit of salmon on fridays potatoes generally feature probably five days a week you know mashed potato boiled potato potato croquettes um <laughs> and then the classic like the classic meal which is probably two or three days a week is you have a potato you have a vegetable and you have a meat and you might rotate around like the type of meat so it might be you know chicken it might be pork chops it might be uh i mean if you're lucky it might be some roast lamb and then you have mm-hmm. your vegetable uh often be like peas carrots parsnips parsnips are big in ireland actually not that common over here um really well, what are they used for mostly just as the side dish um so yes as the side dish and often they would be mashed roughly 50 50 with carrots and a bit of butter Mm. um so can't remember what we call that but that's pretty common um and then if you want to get fancy sometimes my granny when she was alive and cooking she would do roasted parsnips in the oven which actually works very well like just little kind of chop uh, matchsticks not quite matchsticks mm-hmm. bigger than that mm-hmm. um, sorry i'm telling you really boring recipes here no but... <laughs> no no thank you no i think it's just i think it's really interesting because no it's not boring at all because i don't know it's always like grass is greener on the other side sort of thing you know so I don't really know unless you tell me you know so I think it's all really fascinating you know because like obviously what I grew up eating is completely different from what you grew up eating so um even though the the recipes are they're not necessarily basic because we don't usually put those combinations together that often you know I guess like we have steak and potatoes every now and then you know I guess that's like the classic sort of connotation that comes to mind like you know the steak and potatoes sort of mentality but like the fact that you're you kind of have similar dishes in that sort of that sort of realm it's relatable so I think it's actually really interesting yeah I think there's something particularly interesting about that potato vegetable meat combination and Mm -hmm. what it's led to is like when I eat now I always eat my potatoes first and then I'll eat my vegetables and then I'll eat my meat I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure how. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think it just depends on what you like, you know. Because like when I think of dishes like that, I'm the type of person that kind. of I'm very palate driven, and so everything has to complement each other. So I'm the type of person that will like. Let's say it's carrots or something. I'll have the carrot, and then I'll like on my fork, and then I'll add the meat to my fork, and then scoop yeah. it with the mashed potatoes into a bite you know right. so it's like yeah, all three skewer. together yeah 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 there's the so american it... <laughs> exactly so i i combine food but before you go i something that i do with all of the guests on my show is that if they didn't have the opportunity to listen to anything that we have spoken about thus far um what kind of last two cents um mic drop moment um last piece of advice um important information would you like to give them yeah, you know, for those who for those who haven't tried a, a non-alcoholic beer, I you know I'd highly recommend it. I think they'll be surprised by how technology has come along and how the taste is is so close. And um, you know, I think uh, part of part of taking an interest in food is is trying new things. I love trying new different you know recipes and 
friends are cooking and uh, you know non-alcoholic beer is just a small part of that but I think a worthwhile one to, to give a try to and uh, oh yeah I think I should mention there's a you can get a discount on our website if you use um, if you use the coupon code precious just type that in I think you get uh, $2.5 off for your listeners if they're interested no that's that's super awesome thank you so much um, I know that you have a YouTube channel where you're giving out a lot of different information and then also other social media platforms uh, do you mind uh, sharing that with the listeners so they could find you easier yeah, absolutely. So we're on uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and our our handle is 0.5 Brewing with the number five. Um, you can also find us on our YouTube channel if you look up uh, 0.5 Brewing just in the search bar. And then if you want to find me personally, I'm also on Twitter uh, at Ronan K K for Killian McGovern. Ronan K McGovern is my handle there. <laughs> awesome. Um, everything will be listed in the show notes. Uh, readily available for all of you guys thank you again ronan for being such a great guest on our show yeah it was a lot of fun chatting food cheers precious <laughs> cheers thank you to everyone for tuning in don't forget if you want to try out 0.5 beer there's a discount code using my name precious all of the info will be listed in the show notes below don't forget to leave a review for the show if you love it or to share it with a friend you can follow us on instagram at precious the foodie or you can follow me for recipes and different fun content at precious pioneer on instagram and on youtube i'll catch you guys next week live life with love and love food with life bye guys